0: Hello, this is Tony Barini, and I'd like to welcome you to the podcast series, What Leaders Say. And that's exactly what a podcast series is all about. It's about interviewing industry leaders, people that that have excelled exceptionally well in their chosen field of endeavor, and basically an opportunity for them to share their wisdom of just having worked in their profession over the years with our audience or listening audience out there. Today, I have the distinct honor of being with Mr. Joe Rice. He's the co-founder and managing member of Motley Rice. They're located in Charleston, South Carolina. And uh, with no further ado, I'd like to introduce Joe Rice. Joe, how are you doing? I'm
1: fine, Tony. How are you this afternoon?
0: I'm doing great. So what off the top of your head, Joe, we talked a little bit about you know, where you are and where you've come from and uh, a little bit about your background. But what, is there anything in particular that comes to mind that you'd like to share with people? Well, I
1: think I would start from the, the point that don't ever forget where you came from. Because where you came from helped make you. And if you've been successful, you must have learned something right along the way that you have to pass on. So don't forget where you came from and don't run away from your learning, as they say, or your upbringing. And I think that part of that, we were talking earlier about mentors. And clearly, when I started practicing law, you know, I had mentors that older lawyers I was working with, and I learned a lot from them. One of the greatest, you know, orators that South Carolina's ever seen was Saul Senior, and I had the opportunity to go to Mr. Block when he would make an argument in court, as well as when we went to fish fries and he was talking to the the firemen and the Highway Patrol and the police. I mean, he was Speaker of the House for over 50 years. I mean, he was clearly someone that it was a, it was a rare opportunity to have a mentor like that, and Take compare him, who he was in his 90s at the time, to you know Ron Miley, who uh, I I would stand and say you know one of the greatest trial lawyers that this country's seen, and probably the greatest trial lawyer South Carolina's ever seen. And he was in his you know mid late 30s when I started practicing. So those were two of the, the mentors that gave me a lot of focus on. How the law developed and how you respect it, from Mr. Block's view, at the same time, the law's not stagnant. And Ron Motley probably did more to, to develop the law in the area of personal injury, product liability, consumer safety. So those were mentors not only in, in work style, in uh, respect, and, but in opportunity. So yeah. then you then what do you take from that? You need to be a mentor because those guys spent time helping you. So you need to spend time helping the people that are working for you now or working with you in
0: your field and help them develop the right work ethic. That's an interesting point. And 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 I think it's something I definitely want to reinforce, and you and I were talking about that offline, is I see so many young people out there, and they're not sure what to do. And what I tell them is, you know, call it mentor or role model. Find role models out there that are, that are doing it right. And then either go and spend time with them and learn from them. And what's great about good mentors is they're more than like yourself. You're great about passing on your knowledge to other people. And, and don't be scared to pick up the phone and call them because right.
1: they, they appreciate it. I mean, obviously, you will got to be respectful of their time and, and all that. So, you know, use your time with them wisely. But don't be afraid of talking and, or picking up the phone and calling someone and asking for opportunity to spend
0: thirty minutes with. No, that's exactly right. And obviously, you were very fortunate, and at least you realized you had good good mentors. And because you did, obviously, you worked hard and did your part, and you learned from them. And then, obviously, where you are, Motley Rice is kind of like, uh, you know, you guys are ca- kind of caretakers. You look out for the average person out there. You take on the giants.
1: Thank God. Uh, our our. Our clients are the people. That's right. And, and our, as our motto for our law firm, um, much of our litigation is about causes and not just a case. And that was something I learned from Ron when we took on the asbestos industry and then took on the tobacco industry, then took on you know, the terrorist industry, uh, took on the finances of terror. Um, so we continue, continue to do that. That's, that's what we do.
0: No, I mean, that's, to me it's amazing, the average law firm out there, obviously, you know, corporate America, they know they can throw a bunch of attorneys at you, but you guys, finally Rice, you got the reputation of, again, the, you're the consumer advocate, if you will. You're going to make sure that corporate America does what they're supposed to, and when you step into the room, they know that, hey, you can stand toe-to-toe with them. And that's huge. Versus a small-time law firm, they'll wear them out. And
1: that's been the model um, that's hurt the consumer law for
0: years. Exactly. And because of that, you know, again, the tobacco industry was huge. Um, what, but from that tobacco, what was, what was the lessons learned from taking on the tobacco industry? We'll see.
1: You know, people talk about us taking on the tobacco industry, and that's probably not how I would phrase it. I think we took on conduct that helped create the tobacco industry because what our case was about was their attempt to use a legal product but use it in a way to addict children that didn't know any better. So it was the targeting of children at young ages to try to get them addicted to the product because if they could get them smoking at 12 and 13, those people would get addicted and still be smoking for 30, 40, 50 years later. Many of them would become ill. So what we were attacking was not the fact that we have cigarettes in this country. Cigarettes are legal product. What we were attacking is the... Conduct of targeting children with, you know, cartoon candles and, you know, superheroes and the Marlboro Man, and going to the beaches where the teenagers were hanging out and giving away free product three to five in a pack, and putting artificial flavoring into cigarettes and and creating um, this big view that it's glamorous um, to smoke cigarettes and, and that's what we were attacking and said, look, if, if an adult that's fully informed makes a decision to use a product, that's their decision. But that's not
0: what they were doing. What we were attacking was their conduct of targeting children. And thank God you did. I mean, we all know. I mean, any of us that have smoked, anybody that smoked, it's addictive. I mean, I don't care what you say. I mean, it, I can have a drink of liquor and I don't necessarily have to drink it two hours later. And I don't have to drink it the next day. But unfortunately, when you smoke, yes. when you start smoking. That's not by accident. It's not by accident. And uh, was well, there a strategy there? Would you say in, in part of your success is developing the right strategies? Yeah,
1: it's always. It, you, you can't take on a legal case that you don't have a plan for. Because if you do, all you're going to do is trip and stumble multiple times and every time you stumble, you start over. It's massively expensive, and that's you can't do it. But here, our strategy was to develop the evidence, which we had a lot of evidence, of the intention to target children to an addictive product and then abandon the care for the injuries that that flowed therefrom. So we used the old... Common law brought over from England, the theory of unjust enrichment. It's just not right for somebody to make billions of dollars by selling a product that injures people and then leave it to the people, the taxpayers, to pay the cost of that injury. And that's what was happening. And that's why we used the conduct to target early, the intention, knowing it was addictive, knowing it was going to cause injury, and then the states were having to pay, or, you know, the Medicare Medicaid was picking up an enormous annual budget for caring for emphysema, lung cancer, in indigent care, and in, in just general health
0: care. Well, and again, that to me is good. It brings up an interesting point. I think part of y'all's success, and again, when you just resonated with me, it sounds like what you did is you just, when, you, when you're suing somebody, You put together, and and in corporate, let's just not say it's Motley Rice, but in general, corporate America, successful firms, if you want to be successful, it starts with a good roadmap, starts with a good game plan.
1: You have to have a story to tell that makes sense, that you can back up.
0: Right. And a lot of people, what I see, Joe, is they have this premise of, let me go out there and let me work hard, but they don't necessarily know what they're going towards. You know, they don't have a clearly defined goal. They don't have a clearly defined strategy or clearly defined means and methods of how they're going to get there. And in your case, what you've done, what you did, which makes sense to me, is, okay, if we are going to go after these guys, let's not do it haphazardly. Let's do it methodically. What's the premise of the case? And make sure you've got a good case before you just go out there. And that's probably one of the second points that I would make is,
1: in the legal field, we can discuss how it affects other businesses. But when you have your game plan if you start it be prepared to finish don't wig out and don't take on a project that you're not prepared to complete so our position is if we bring a lawsuit we will try that lawsuit we will take it to the full extent of the law there are business there are law firms that start a project looking to how to how to settle the project right now granted a large percentage of matters do settle, the tobacco case settle. But we never started it looking for the settlement. We started it looking to build a case to go to trial. And I guess, you know, you, you hear about startup businesses, or I'm going to start a business, hold it five years, and then flip it. If you start thinking you're only going to be in it for five years, then you're going to flip it. What do you do in year six or seven when you haven't flipped it? And if you don't have the dedication or the resources to make it last six or seven or eight years, I think that's part of what we saw in the 2008-2009 time frame in the, res- in the residential world, the developer world. They went in thinking they could do something hold it for a limited period of time and automatically make it work and be profitable. It didn't work out so good. And that's when a lot of people lost a lot of money and a lot of businesses failed because they went in with a model never to finish, but to having limited time to get something done. And that's not a map for success in my view.
0: That's interesting. I've never, you know, you're the first person that I've interviewed that has brought that to light. That's interesting because mean I hate to say this, but unfortunately I've been sued in my business because of what I do for a living, designing buildings and building things. And because I have insurance, I've been sued my fair number of times and they've always settled. And a lot of times law firms that I've worked with, it's it's all basically, you know, this even though I'm not necessarily guilty, it's one of these, well, what are you gonna spend Defending yourself, so to speak, and it ends up being, in your case, I mean, when you take on the big boys, and I think that's the other message, too, the message is we're prepared to take this to the bitter end.
1: Yeah, the cases we handle, the major cases we handle, the matter's not going to get resolved because of what the other side's going to have to spend. Tobacco didn't care what they were spending. BP oil didn't care what they were spending. Volkswagen doesn't care what they're spending. Pfizer doesn't care what they're spending in drug litigation. They care about liability, what their conduct was, what the ramifications of their conduct, and what's the ramifications to their business. And what's the market, going to think about
0: Yeah. And that's, but it, what it sounds like is, is when, you, when you take on cases, one, you're prepared to go to the end. But if you're going to negotiate a settlement, you're negotiating it in the, in, the, in, in the spirit of all of those different components. Right. Which, you know, you're not in the business and that's really putting put businesses out of business. Absolutely not. But... They need, to, they need to understand the consequences.
1: I, I think the business we're in is responsibility. Face your responsibility. Live up to the expected responsibility. And that's what we tell, you know, when I used to do opening statements to juries, I would say, we're here because this company made a decision to put a product on the market, to make a profit, but they fail to realize when doing that becomes responsibility. And they didn't fulfill the responsibility to you, the citizens. because they didn't test the product. They didn't warn you about the product. They didn't give you fair information about the adverse consequences of the product. Things of that nature. That's responsibility. And that's what you teach every kid that you raise, every kid you mentor, is you build the concept of responsibility. Every action has a reaction. Every action has consequences.
0: But why? Why do you think that's the case? Is it you think it's corporate greed? Because I mean, seriously, I mean, you know, the tobacco industry. I mean, we all know. I mean, in in, in fairness to the tobacco industry, right? Okay. The conduct started
1: in the fifties and sixties. True. And we litigated it in the nineties. Okay. So the guys that were there in the nineties were wearing conduct that had been done okay. by predecessors in a time that was different. So, you know, but it was the same corporation and it had built its wealth on that conduct.
0: Therefore, just because that conduct was acceptable or not even acceptable back in the 50s and 60s, uh, that doesn't mean that they should not. With new information, new technology, new research, you're still accountable to do what's right. Yeah, they never went back and changed their mentality. Because I remember growing up, Marvel Man was a cool dude on a horse. And that was a big deal.
1: And I think in order to fulfill the idea of being ready to finish something, you got to prepare yourself in the beginning and you got to prepare yourself for every step along the way. So how do you prepare yourself is if you got to have good people that do good work that have good work ethic that buy into your process. So I think that's one of the things that's made Molly Rice so successful is we have done a great job of finding good people and we've taken the opportunity to bring good people in and my turnover of attorneys is no. I mean, I've got about eighty lawyers now and I probably I may have one or two lawyers that leave, you know, every two years. So I have very small turnover because I think that people they enjoy what they do. And um, that way, if you keep good people, they do good work, they're better trained, they're better ready to go, and you get better work product.
0: From it. I think that's so important. And that, I hear that, you know, not to blow smoke up, your it or whatever, but just because I'm sitting with you, everybody, the part of the branding with Motley Rice is... <coughs> People say, oh, yeah, you're the, you know, you're the Goliath out there. You're the, you know, you take down corporate America or you go against corporate America or whatever. But what I hear time and time again is not just you, but people. Yeah. You've built a great team here. People know that you have a great team and it's not just Joe Rice. That's absolutely correct. And, hey, there's a huge organization and they're all great. And there's a reason why you keep your people here. Yeah, and I think they feel part. That goes back to teamwork, if you will. They, the, the people that work here, feel like they're contributing, and they feel like they're actually a member of the team. And and they are. <laughs> I mean, they are part of the family. You know, and I'll I'll share with you. I was I was uh, within the last year. I was in uh, Johannesburg. I was in Africa. Yeah. And I'm sitting in the lobby, and I'm going to share the story with you. And you're in South Africa? I'm in South Africa, Yeah. in Johannesburg, and I'm sitting in the Crown Room, and I'm waiting to fly back to Charleston. I'm waiting to fly from Johannesburg to Atlanta. And I just so happened, there's two people sitting across from me in the Crown Room, the Delta Crown Room. Right. And I'm like, you know, where are you all from? I said, oh, I'm from uh, Charleston. I said, Charleston, South Carolina? And they said, yeah. I said, well, really? I said, where do you work? So work for Motley Rice. We work for Joe Rice. I said, really? I said, here I am sitting in Joburg. I said, I gotta ask you. I said, I know Joe. He's a friend. I said, and I'm familiar with Motley Rice. What in the world are you doing? Are you on vacation in Africa? Did you go on safari? He said, Oh no, we have a case over here representing the miners. Right and on. I'm like, so they told me this whole story, and I'm like, oh, my God, twenty over 26,000 people that I, I know firsthand that have been severely abused by the mining industry. And I'm looking at, here's Joe Rice, Motley Rice, coming over here again. These are the people in Africa that truly need help. They're the... Gold mines in South Africa um,
1: operate without any significant regulatory controls. And therefore, the workers are subjected to working conditions that make their work life not a 60- or 70-year work life, but more like a 40-year work life. And the the, uh, incidence of lung disease, silica lung disease in the gold mine workers is astronomical. And South Africa doesn't really have any sophisticated workers' comp system for workers that get hurt or medical care. And and as you know, if you've been over there, so the gold mines are in very rural areas. The medical care is not available. So about five years ago, give or take, the South African um, governing body, their their Congress, their Supreme Court, adopted rules that allow for class action lawsuits, which we then were contacted by some attorneys that had been trying to figure out a way to help these workers for years and said, "We now have a tool, we don't know how to use it, and we don't know how to put it together so we, Mike Elsner. Yes, My partner, um, uh, we assigned him to the project and we helped them put together a model of how to get to the workers, find out what was going on, make sure they got good medical diagnosis and put together a class action. And about eight months ago, we were, we had a ruling by the South African Supreme Court That we're, to the best of my knowledge, we're the first class action ever certified in the country of South Africa on behalf of injured workers. And we are proceeding now through that class action. And the whole idea is to design a compensation scheme from from the gold mine operations to these workers and their widows and their families to provide just basic health care and, you know, cost of it.
0: Amen. And I can I can attest. I've been there and I've seen it firsthand. It reminds me of the United States 150 years ago. Yep. And seriously, it is abuse to the highest limit. Unfortunately, a lot of the government officials are paid off. The fact that you are where you are is amazing. I I, I can tell you, it's it is flat out terrible. Well, we we're we're not at the end, but we're. Around corner one for sure. Well, but at least you know you're taking it on versus doing nothing. I mean, and, and what a great cause! I mean, it's it's not just South Africa; it's Uganda; it's it's all those countries over there. But it, what? I, okay, this is the point that I wanted to bring about when I was talking to your staff. And again, here I am in jo- Johannesburg at the airport, and the way they talked about Motley runs, and this isn't a testament. I just want to share this with you and your team. Was just amazing. The glow of look at the the pride of look what we're doing of taking on this these mining companies that are very corrupt and they're paying the politicians. I promise you to get the permits to dig the digging. That's why all the politicians over there are pretty much all of them are, have lots of money because of the the bribes. And
1: none of them live in these areas where they're.
0: Oh, they're all living in nice houses. They all have escorts. They all got gated communities. I see it firsthand. And it's appalling to me, the politicians. When we've done business in Africa, that's the first thing that we get into in negotiations is what they call the price of doing business. And it's basically bribes. They don't call it bribes. It's the cost of doing business. And it's appalling to me how they do it. But it is what it is. And I'm not going to change that. But I'm glad... Kudos to you, but I just wanted to share with your, about your staff, about the pride that they take and that they know there's a sense of, hey, we're here to take on people, the bad companies that are going to take advantage of people. Motley Rice, there's, there's a good, it's not just, you know, again, there's a lot of, you see a lot of these TV commercials of, you know, the incident, crime, accident, car wrecks or whatever. Uh, The message, the branding and the culture here is we're here to protect the average citizen from bad corporate America. And and just bad decisions by bad, America. De- bad decisions by corporate America, but it's that's I it's mean, a great culture to create, right? I mean,
1: if you think about it, in a in a civilized society, the gold mine companies who make a lot of money, they should have enough respect for their workers to provide, and that's just wrong. So we're not against the gold mine industry. We're just saying, come on, be real. It's 2016. Provide for these workers. Provide for health
0: care. I agree. All right. Well, we're 26 minutes into the interview. And, uh, again, I know your time. We cannot thank you enough for your time. Is there anything else uh, that you can think of kind of in closing that you think is of importance to our listening audience out there?
1: Yeah. I'm going to go back to something I learned from a fellow in Barnwell, South Carolina, the first year I was practicing law. Is some I was talking to him about somebody who asked me about getting involved in a business. And he said, Joe, don't ever get involved in a business you know nothing about. Because what will happen is you'll have nothing when you finish. And I think a lot of young folks, you know, start thinking, well, I can do this and I can do that. I can do four or five different things. So be careful. You know, get involved in something you believe in. Get involved in something you like, that you enjoy. And don't just jump at a wild opportunity that you don't know anything about. Go learn about it before you commit yourself. And I think for young folks thinking about starting a business, getting in a business, investing in a business, do your homework.
0: That's great. That's great advice. I see so many people that say, you're right, they tend to jump because they make emotional decisions and really... They need to, if they're going to do something, they need to be thinking long term. They need to know about what they're doing and have care about what they're doing. So that's, that's great advice. Well, again, thank you so much. And uh, thank you, Tony. I appreciate your, you taking the time out of your valuable day uh, to share your words of wisdom. And again, this is Tony Barini, the podcast series, What Leaders Say. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Thanks Tony.